Welcome to the 77th episode of the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. Today's guest walks the walk and talks the diabetes advocacy talk, Monica Storzician. Man, I really hope I pronounced her last name correctly. That's a tough one for me, but I think I got it. If you're new to the show, welcome, and thanks for stopping by. My name is Amber Kluwer, and I'm the co-founder of the Diabetes Daily Grind and host of this, the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. I've lived with type 1 diabetes for almost 37 years and really enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living their best life with this disease. I'm wrapping up this decade with one last long episode, but I promise it is worth listening to the very end and entertaining, if nothing else. The theme of Podcast 77 is knowing the difference between being a constant and being a pest. Monica backs this motto by providing actionable items and tips to help us relinquish fear and get involved. Her demeanor is calm and her voice is soft, but her words are powerful and changing lives for all people living with diabetes. Go, Monica! (laughs) But before we get started, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, this episode was brought to you by NPIN, the only FDA-approved smart insulin pen and app system. Five years ago, Companion Medical identified a hugely unmet need after discovering that only 7% of insulin users tapped into pump therapy. That's still shocking to me, I, I, really, because every picture I see, somebody's got a pump on. Their integrated diabetes management ecosystem includes a smart insulin pen that automatically sends your dose to an app on your smartphone tracking insulin on board, and providing a dose calculator, which can help avoid stacking while calculating more accurate doses. Winning! The InPen is hassle-free with a clean design, no recharging, no downloading. Everything is done automatically, making life with diabetes and multiple daily injections a lot easier. As someone who has never tapped into insulin pump therapy, I'm ecstatic to discover InPen. It will be the next tool in my diabetes management tool belt, allowing me to give multiple daily injections with confidence. If you would like to learn more about NPIN, please check out the show notes. I'll have links in there for everything. Number two, Patreon subscription. If you've listened to any of the other episodes, you know that I launched this a few months ago. Your subscription will help me grow the DDG team, allowing me to create more podcasts and content. It is as simple as $5 a month. And if you take a look, it's pretty entertaining how I came up with the different levels there. Number three, hit me up if you're hosting a conference or event. I love meeting new people and have the gift of gab. Never met a stranger. (laughs) Co-host a real-life diabetes happy hour in your town. It's a great way to connect with someone else in your area. And in my opinion, everyone needs a diabetes. Number four, get involved in the diabetes online community. There are a ton of fellow bloggers and diabetes characters who do a fabulous job of sharing their story. And we all know each of our stories are different, so you never know who you'll connect with. Number, I think it's five, advertise. If you feel your brand complements our mission, we would love to hear from you. If you're interested, please send an email to my marketing associate, Penelope at Penelope at DiabetesDailyGrind.com. She'd love to hear from you. Leave an iTunes review and stay connected by signing up for the DDG monthly newsletter. And continue to love, like, and share on social media. And don't forget, you can always send me feedback, ideas, comments, or complaints. I can be reached via email or on any social media platform. 
Number six. This year, I branched out and rallied fellow people living with diabetes to form the Real Life Diabetes Consulting Group. It was created to help bridge the communication and awareness gap between the patient and medical community. We have all witnessed this in one way or another, and so we really hope to make a difference for both parties. The team and the services we provide will soon be highlighted on the Diabetes Daily Grind website, so please stay tuned. If you would like to learn more in the interim, please contact me at amber at diabetesdailygrind.com. Well, I think that's it for the announcements, uh, so let's get started. I am so excited to be sitting in my living room in my sweatpants and tie-dye t-shirt across from my new friend, Monica. Hello. Monica, I need you to pronounce your last name because I will never, hopefully, in the introduction when I record it, will be able to say it. <laughs> it's uh, it's storezician, like musician or physician at the end. That's a lot easier than I thought it would be. Yeah, I, that's like, that's Very the American way to say it. If you ask my grandfather, he would give you a different pronunciation. Can you give it to me? Uh, stor- Storogician. Ah! There's more of a je, a je situation in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like it. And I want to say that Monica kind of came back into my life recently at the Oklahoma Diabetes Caucus, but we realized we'd never met face-to-face, but she was one of our very first guest bloggers, and you talked a lot about, or you wrote about, your life with Peace Corps. That's right. I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Ukraine from 2008 to 2010. So I I think that I did a five-part kind of blog series on that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was so great. I I did have a couple of people reach out to me that had type 1 that were interested in the application process. Mm -hmm. And one of them actually quite recently emailed me and we had kind of a, a really nice Skype call about my experiences in the application process. And nice. I think she actually got an invitation to serve as a Peace Corps volunteer somewhere. So that's, I mean, it's been oh, really great. That's great. Things that I didn't expect to happen happened. Okay. Well, let me ask you on that. Do you know, I'm sure, or maybe I'm sure they would be able to tell you this. How many people have gone through the Peace Corps program that have type one? I, I don't know those numbers. I, I am sure that the medical office has that information stored away somewhere. I don't know how readily if you could find that out, I'd love to yeah. put that in the show notes because, as I was saying earlier, is uh, I had always wanted to be in the Peace Corps, mm-hmm. you know, have an environmental degree, which is neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, I wanted useful. to save the world. Yeah. I wanted to save the world. Yeah. And, and I really thought and knew in my head there was no way that I could be accepted into that program. Yeah. I mean, it, they may, it's not easy. It's not easy for anyone. But the, right. the medical application is still pretty onerous. And what I found out when I was – going through the process is that they send your medical file along with your your technical file to the different like country programs and the staff there that would be placing you you know determine whether or not your skill set matches what their need is but the medical office also looks at you your file to see if they can take care of you and i think i talked about this in the blog post so i'm not trying to you know <laughs> this is good reiterate old news but <laughs> 
what I learned when I was there is that the head of Peace Corps Ukraine's medical office had a sister that had type 2 diabetes. Oh. And so he wasn't afraid to have a person come with type 1. And so after I came, there was at least one other volunteer in Ukraine. He started, so it's a two-year commitment. I started in 2008. He came in 2009. And when I was leaving, there was a volunteer that was in training. But before I left, the doctor kind of, you know, confidentially mentioned to me that she, I think, had had some, like, hypoglycemic issues and that he was he was worried. Because, that's again, it's not something that's super common with type 2. Um, but there is a, you know, yeah. there's, a, there's a difference in care. We all know that. Yeah. So, um, but I think that they've continued having them because, like I said, the the – young person that reached out to me was invited to Ukraine. And I think she accepted her, her, her nomination. So that's exciting. I, I really like to hear yeah. that. You so know, you made yeah. these connections, you made the <laughs> dream that you had possible for other people. And that sounds really corny, but it's, it's really great. It's, it's cool. Uh, it's crazy. And you know, with everything that's coming about lately about was yeah. it the FAA is now allowing um, people with diabetes to fly commercial. Yeah, that's right. It's incredible. Yeah. And you know, it always, and I remember I was a camp kid. And so one of the, one of the camp kind of education sessions we had was from a highway patrolman that had type one. Hmm. And he was one of the first highway patrolmen in Oklahoma with type one. Uh, oh, yeah. really? So that was, I, it's, it's always great to hear those stories because you, you know, when you see it, you start thinking that it's possible for you. So. Well, and for us old people, and I say, well, I'm going to say people that have lived with type 1 diabetes for a very long time. I mean, it was. You, you, nobody ever said point blank, you cannot do this. Yeah. With the exception of, and I think I said this in another episode, is like with recommendation not to have children. Um, but then when you started looking at vocational rehabilitation and all these other things that were awesome, it was going to limit what I could study in, at the university. Yeah, I think that was one of the jarring things. You know, as I mentioned, I was a camp kid. And yeah. so then you start, you graduate from high school and you start going to college. And then all of a sudden you're kind of, you're seeing, you're seeing limitations. And you've kind of been taught, like, you know, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. And then you're like, well, what about this? Like, <laughs> this is a real, this is, sucks hard. Um, and so I joke about it. And I think like, you know, uh, people with type one are resilient. Um, I was reading, I read this m book by Melinda Gates, uh, moment of lift. And there's a quote in there that she said, um, she's talking about women, but it holds for people with type one. <laughs> Let's all take it. <laughs> she, she said, um, every wall is a door. And I think people with type one are like, we're very stubborn. Um, and so I think we, we make things happen sometimes. I think we're also, let me say this, maybe it's just me being scrappy. But I have to say that this is kind of embarrassing, but I, I'm outing myself. I ran out of test strips for my Diathrive subscription. And I was like, okay, well, here, I've got three boxes of this. Let me go through the 42 meters that I have and figure out which one works with this. So there's a lot of trial and error, two-day process. The one, the one glucometer that I had, the batteries didn't work. But I had two other machines that worked. And I'm like, wait a second, I can pop out that battery, put it in here. And then I realized this is so embarrassing. It, it's, it's batteries were fine. It's one of those that you have to put the test strip in for it to pop on instead of like pushing a button and something would light up. So I was like, I won the battle in two different ways. Um, 
Yes. We're we're very good at troubleshooting yes. and problem solving. Um, this I was a project manager for five years, and I fully credit figuring out diabetes, figuring out, to like to being able to just, you know, politely ask people that had no reason to do what I told them to do to do the things <laughs> that I was telling them to do. Um, I like that. But yeah, I... <laughs> We definitely figure out figure out little. We're kind of MacGyvery. We have to be. Yeah. Street smarts is what Street that is. Street smarts. Yeah. Thank God, I had a little bit of book smarts in that too. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about your diagnosis story because everyone is a little bit different. Yeah. So, I was twelve. I was kind of in that awkward uh, middle school phase. Worst time of your life. <laughs> um, and I had just um, my mother would be so happy that I'm publicly talking about going through <laughs> puberty. Um, but I just, I'd gotten tall, like I'd grown a few inches. And uh, I think I had started my period. And mm -hmm. so she, the sudden weight loss, um, the tiredness, all of those things she had kind of lumped into, she's just like having a hard time figuring out, you know, becoming a woman. <laughs> um, but I, I had what were classic signs and symptoms that we just didn't recognize because it's not genetic. Like no one else in my family has type one. Hmm. But I, you know, looking back, I, I would always have to ask Rory Sanders uh, to tell me what the projector said in English class because I couldn't like my bl vision was blurry. Right. Uh, I was peeing all the time. Uh, I was I would get really angry very quickly. Oh yeah. Stop. Um, and so, and I, and I do remember, you know, I would feel better slightly after gym, but it got to a point where I was staying home from school a lot. Cause I was, I, you know, your stomach hurts, you're, yeah. you're sick. Um, and I was throwing up a lot and I had diarrhea and it was just like horrible. <laughs> My mom was giving me saltines and Sprite because she thought that your stomach's I had upset. a stomach problem. Right. And so there was one day that I stayed home from, from school and it's, I look, it's, it's not funny, but like when I think about how it must have looked, it's funny. Um, my mom worked at the school and mm -hmm. she told me that she wanted me to get dressed because when she got off work around like 12, one, she was going to take me to the pediatrician. She was going to take me to the doctor. Um, and I, you know, when you're sick, you don't wear pants. Who does that? <laughs> um, so I was like, you know, in my t-shirt and my, my classic undies and she, I was sleeping in their bed. Cause it was my mom and dad's bed. It was big and like had the washcloth access, you know, like <laughs> they had really set me up cause I wasn't feeling good. And she, I was trying to go to my room and I fell face down in the hallway. I felt like I was running and I had to have been moving like a sloth. Right. And that's when my mom found me. She found me just like laying face down on the floor in the hallway. And she kind of got mad. She was like, what are you, what are you doing? And I just said, I just said I was so tired. And so she helped me get dressed. She took me to Dr. Matthews, Rex Matthews, bless his heart, greatest, loved him so much. <laughs> and they told her like, that I either had Rye syndrome, uh, which is something that you get with aspirin. Okay. Um, in children and sometimes not all the time, right? <laughs> Everybody calm down. Um, <laughs> or that I had type one diabetes and that she needed to take me to the hospital right away. So she took me to children's cause it was close. And I, that I was in the ICU for three days. I think my blood sugar was over 1900. Like it was very, very high. I don't even know how that's physically yeah, possible. I, we, the priest came like we were, I grew up Catholic. Um, it was, a, it was 
it was bad. Um, but I was in the ICU for three days, a regular room for about two, um, just trying to get my blood sugar kind of normal, having an educator, Kim, well, uh, Kim Bose Wilson came to talk to me and taught me how to give shots. And, and what year was this? This was 1999. This was early 1999. And the only reason I asked that is because going to the same hospital, mm -hmm. being diagnosed, I don't believe I was in DKA. And I probably need to actually look into that. I'm pretty sure. But um, I was there for almost two weeks. Oh, that is really strange. I was skating the hallways. I mean, yeah. there were a lot of really sick kids. And I remember thinking later in life, like, I was so blessed. Yeah. I got to leave the hospital yeah. because a lot of those kids didn't. No, I had a room. Like, when I, so when I moved from the ICU down to kind of a regular floor, I had, I think the reason that I am in nursing school now, which we can talk about later, is because I had such a phenomenal nurse uh, when I was in, in the ICU. But oh. I, when I went to the regular, kind of like a regular floor I had a roommate and she was there. Her white blood cell count was like tanked. I don't remember what her name was, which is good because maybe that's a HIPAA violation. I don't know. <laughs> um, Not if you're another patient. No, yeah, right? I was another patient. She, her mom came in and like scolded her for her health problems. And I had all these balloons and bear, like I just, oh, I yeah. felt very supported and I felt very lucky, but I, you know, I, I don't know why I was only there for, that amount well, of time, but obviously you got yeah. it and you got, they got everything back down or, yeah. or to I mean, normal. and I think they knew immediately, you <clears throat> know what it was. So, and they knew the right treatments obviously for that. So when you first were diagnosed, I always ask this because everyone, you know, I'm just curious is what medications did they start you off on? I was on, um, regular insulin. No. Oh, yeah. And I don't remember what NPH. my, NPH. No, it was before NPH. What? I did. It was pre NPH. I I remember NPH. And Man, it, you had to have been NPH. No, I think I was. I, on, I had NPH. I think I was, I was on RNN. I think I took regular and I took N and I don't remember what that stands for. I'm probably gonna get scolded. You by, are in nursing school. Uh, I need you to look that up. Nobody <laughs> nobody takes it anymore. Right, um, that's so true. But I I was on shots for about a year and then I kind of started pumping until until recently. So oh, okay. Then what pump did you start with? I was, I was on a Medtronic okay. um, and I stayed on a Medtronic until I probably for 15 years when I switched over to the old T-Slim. Okay. So let's talk about, if you're comfortable with it, let's, yeah. what, what you're currently doing and yeah, management changes with age and with insurance. Yeah. So <laughs> big surprise, <laughs> diabetes is expensive. Um, so I was on uh, an insulin pump for like I said, may, like over 15 years and I was on a 508 and then what is it, 722, whatever came after that. I have no that. idea. Um, I was like Medtronic all the way. And then I was lured away by tandem and all the wonderful things people were saying about it. And I, I, I liked it a lot, but I, what I discovered, I was probably in my late twenties and I had started using a Dexcom CGM right. at this time. So I was using that Dexcom CGM. This was when I lived in DC. Uh, and then I switched over to the tandem pump and the adhesive, I had such a horrible reaction to it. Uh, so there's the difference between the cloth adhesive that I used when I was on my Medtronic pump. And then I got like that clear adhesive mm -hmm. that came, I don't know, from whatever medical supplier I had to use to get those supplies. Because, right, you can use whatever sets you want. Right. Um, 
but it took me so long to get situ- like to get it or- organized to get it figured out like how to go back from like the set that the medical supplier wanted me to have mm-hmm. versus what I had before I mean it was it was very bad I mean welts constant itching and this isn't like you know you hear somebody complain about itching and and you think <laughs> get over it it's saving your life like but until you've I would like to punch whomever said that to you until in the face. you've literally. I, I scratched until I bled, and I know yeah. that's really a sexy image. I know, but it's the truth. Like, I was you couldn't you can't sleep. Like, at, you're distracted at work. Um, it was it was bad, but eventually, and I think we've all been there. You talk to enough customer service people that eventually you talk to one that's like, oh, let's try to problem solve this a little bit, or you kind of, you know it's really hard not to get mad at them. Right. Um, and I usually couch it with, I'm not mad at you. I'm just really frustrated. Like this is I a hear really you. bad situation. And I think like, I can't, I can't imagine having that job. I can't imagine doing that, working right. for the insurance companies in that way or whatever, the medical suppliers in that way. But I've had some people come through for me on the phone after, you know, it takes time. But. And not everybody's willing to give that. Right. Yeah, and you don't. Sometimes you don't have it. Like, and they don't know what questions to ask right, you, and you don't exactly. have to articulate that it's your total right. shit show right now, and just want to feel right. better. And I think honestly, that's where uh, that project management, like this nursing school background, like has really come to help because you learn how to describe things quickly. Right. So you can go through this. There's a reporting method called SBAR. So it's basically you know what the situation is, mm-hmm. um, what the change is, and then kind of what your recommendation is. Um, so. That, and I've shortened that. If there are any medical professionals listening. <laughs> you are never getting a job. <laughs> Just please, kidding. Please, please be nice to me. Um, but I think, like, honestly, like, that's that's really been a, a lifesaver. It's just kind of you have to learn how to talk about what you're experiencing and what you're going through so that people can understand it. And I think that's one of the reasons, and this is a serious plug and I'm okay with it, but why I started the Real Life Diabetes Consulting Group is because we want to empower the patient to ask the right questions. I'm not going to say demand, but request mm-hmm. what they need and also educate the medical community to be sensitive to that, mm-hmm. be a little bit more compassionate and be the problem solver. A hundred percent, a hundred percent agree. I think I learned Kind of early on at, at camp, how to you have to be your own advocate. Yes, I think Kim is definitely, and I, this is the second time I've said her name. Um, Kim always talked about that. Like you're gonna you're gonna meet people who have no idea what type one is. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna tell you that you know they they ate too much candy and they're gonna get diabetes and you're gonna want to punch them in the eye. You're gonna want to commit an act of violence. <laughs> Um, or they're going to ask you if you should be eating something or if you can have something. Um, or what about like what you said earlier about the fact that you walked in to see a resident? Oh yeah. And you've had type one diabetes. Mm-hmm. How many years at that point? Uh, at least 15. And what was her, what was her first question? Uh, was like, I don't remember. Do you still have, or oh, do yeah. you still have no, this yeah. condition so or whatever it was? I had to go and see this doctor because I needed a referral. My insurance had changed and I needed a referral so that I could go see my endocrinologist so that I could refill a prescription. And the first question was, so are you, how do you, are you sure you still have it? And I'm like, well, I've got, I was still on an insulin pump at this point. So I was like, well, I don't, I don't know what this is. If you know the cure and we don't, I don't. Yeah. uh, Like I, yeah. So, I mean, it's definitely something that, and I think it's easy. It's our everyday, you know? So it's like when you live in a beautiful city and there's 
like imagine like this vista and you get so used to it that you you don't see it with fresh eyes. Right. And so sometimes it's really hard to put yourself in the position where you're seeing it with fresh eyes again. Right. But I have to try to remind myself to do that sometimes. If I'm talking to someone that I haven't known for a long time, um, I don't, I love talking about diabetes. I'll talk about it all day. I have <laughs> anecdotes, you know, we all do. And I think most, most type ones that I know are the same way. They're right. happy to tell you their story, to talk to you about kind of what their experience has been like. Cause it's hard. It's, I mean, it's I, not but easy. I will say that I think that I, I, I'm not going to argue with you on that, but like, I never talked about it. Okay. Ever in my life until I started the blog with Ryan. Because I didn't know anybody else who had it. So, and I didn't have the camp experience. So I think that's where – and I think – I'm not complaining. Sorry, Mom. We just we – talk, we talk about it. You know, yeah. it's – I think once you find that, that community, once you have that group of people that you can just – I mean, I, I wrote a blog post on my old blog that is – I haven't written on in forever about just text exchanges that sometimes you yeah. just – you have an experience – a bad experience with like a pen that didn't work or something that yeah. really sucked. It was shitty. And you just need someone else that understands to, to hear it and to be like validating that kind of experience. And I think that's what I mean is, yeah. you know, now that you're in this world where you do have people that you can talk to about it, like it's, for me, you know, it's easy for me to be like, hey, <laughs> ran out of insulin. <laughs> anybody, anybody got the hookup for a minute? Right. Because, you know, I'm 33 and that still happens. And yeah. you have to get to a point where that's okay. But I think it's easier when you're in a community where you know that that's happened to other people too, because you've lent, you've given them a vial when they, you know, like. It's so crazy. And, and I, I say, yeah. and I got to say, that's one of the, like, so the Real Life Diabetes Consulting Group is actually going to, I'm the keynote speaker for the St. Louis JDRF Type 1 Nation Summit. And I'm so excited for yeah, what awesome. we've created. Mm -hmm. And I, I love speaking at these things. And it, the first one I ever went to, I remember bawling because I was like, oh my gosh, all these kids. I couldn't handle it. It was a lot for me to it's take. It's emotional, yeah. It's very emotional. And they're looking for you at, at you for advice or to be a voice for them. And that's scary on so many levels. But our focus, you know, for this and hopefully many more summits is find your community. You have to have somebody to lean on that understands what you're going through. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. You know, I mean, I think that's the other thing too, is it makes it, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but most people that I know with type one, we have to have, we're controlling because we have to be, because we are constantly mm -hmm. controlling our body's reaction to, its environment, um, whether that's food, stress, everything, whatever. And so having those people around that you can, you can admit your flaws to without any kind of like judgment or panic. Right. You know, I think people, it's not even a flaw, right? It's, it's not, just, it's just being a human. Yeah. Um, but I think we want, we strive for per perfection because we yeah. know that control is really important. Yeah. And so, Meeting other people who have days and they came out the other side or meeting other people that you can just say, like, isn't this so shitty? It's funny. Um, right. With, I think, is it's it's been a lifesaver. And I think that's exactly what you get when you have that community. And that's why I'm 
the, such an advocate for camp. That's why I, it changed my life, you know? So you were a camper for what, four or five years before you ended up being like a counselor yes. on the other side. So I, I think I was a camper for, yeah, I think four, four summers. And then, and then I was a counselor for probably about the same amount of time. And then I moved away. Did um, you ever feel like, cause I have been a, I was a counselor for a leadership camp and that's not a fair, it was a cabin, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, they are going to be looking for me, <laughs> looking at me for advice. Did you feel comfortable as a counselor? I think, I think, yes. With, when it comes to diabetes, not as well, like. Well, and I think like that's the great way about the camp that I went to, uh, which was Camp Endress, uh, was that you had these camper or counselors. Most of them had type one, but like I had co-counselors that were medical students right. that had siblings that had type one. Mm-hmm. So as a person with type one, yes, I did. But I also had dietitians, diabetes educators, um, endocrinologists that mm-hmm. I could say, you know, Hey, this, this happened. I don't really know how to react to it or, or what the resolution is. But honestly, I remember I had a girl in my cabin who only checked her blood sugar on one hand, uh, because she didn't want, she wanted her other hand to not have holes in it. Dense, yeah. And so she was creating like scabs. And so right. it's like talking to her about that and helping her connect with, a, the child psychologist that specialized in kids with diabetes because right. there are real things like that. Or, you know, like the the girl who'd never been away from home before. She'd gone to sleepovers, but her mom went with her because, <sighs> because and it goes back to, again, like the, it's control. Like it is, it is not, it's a dangerous disease, right? But it doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be debilitating. And I think like, you know, when you're able to go to things like that, you learn that. And so those kinds of things, you know, where you're able to like sit outside on your night duty and your, your kid's homesick. So they come out and they just like, you know, they just need some reassurance and some like comfort and you get to talk to them about what they did today. And have they ever done that before? And can they believe they've, you know, they've met all these new friends, you know, it is really, it's empowering even when you've already been through it. Yeah. So again, camp is a great place to, to build a community. I think that there are more now than when I was growing up, but there are other, you know, not, I love, I love camp beyond just diabetes camp. I camp for life. It's, I've got woo, if that means anything to anyone here. Um, but I, I think there are a lot of, there are a lot of meetups and other support groups. I know there's a, a parent support group that happens, um, here in Oklahoma city yeah. it was yesterday. Yeah. So, and there's that, I know there are advocacy groups, like the caucus is kind of an advocacy group. Um, yeah. But that's like, we're getting to a hardcore agenda and it's not, I right. mean, but it, there's like, the, I love seeing other people with type one because right. like when you were doing your presentation, which I want to touch on mm-hmm. and every, I'm blowing up your beeping and it's like, we kind of looked at each other like, I know what's going on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we need mm-hmm. more people in the room that get it so that we can guide that conversation. Right. I mean, that's why that's why I started going to the caucus. Uh, Senator Hicks' son has type one, yeah. and I, I think I texted. She invited me to come to them, and I think I sent her a text message that something was going on with school, or you know, it wasn't like I couldn't come, but that it, like I didn't know if I would be imp- like it would you be didn't important even know what it for was. me to be right. there. And her response was, "We need more people with type one in the room. Uh, so if you can come, please do." And and so I went and. And I think there's this, there is an intimidation in into going into a meeting at the Capitol 
period. Um, in a conference room with people that you don't know who are either like they're public servants, they work in a yeah. state agency or for right. a state office or they're legislators or, you know, if you've not been exposed to that, it can be really intimidating. And so I luckily- It's always a stress yeah. for me to go every month. And so, so like, weirdly. Oh yeah, I've been, ex I worked for a federal agency. I, you know, I've had a lot of interactions with people who, who, you know, make decisions at that level right. all the time. And you're a hundred percent right. Like, but I had a boss, I had a boss at the FDA. Her name was Barbara Cassins. And I was talking to her about this a little bit. And she said, you know, Monica, they get up every day and put their pants on the same way you do, you know? Yeah. Um, and I had support in college. I, I was at a board meeting. I was, uh, at OCU. And, uh, one of the deans asked me to hand out agendas. And because I was student body president, I actually sat on the board and he didn't know that I, he, I wasn't in his college and the Dean of students came up to me and was so angry on my behalf. She said, you never let anyone do that to you again. So I luckily had a lot of role models who told me that I was allowed to take up space. That's awesome. Um, but I think learning that your voice means something, uh, is really important. And I think one of the only ways that you learn that is you show up, um, even when it's scary. So, and so you, okay, before we even get into the caucus going more into that, you are a part of a group that meets once a month and tell me more about that. So I am part of a group, uh, called voice, um, which stands for voices organized in civic engagement, um, voice. OKC. It's just, a it's a civic action group. It's regular people who want to try to find real nonpartisan solutions to issues. So we don't talk about party affiliation. We don't talk about any of that, but we talk about healthcare issues. We talk about education. We talk about criminal justice reform. We talk about, um, debt. We talk yeah. about a lot of things and we try to come up with actionable things that we can do. And so that's really how I got involved with, um, with Senator Hicks. Yeah. I have known her for a long time. We went to school together. She was, we, we didn't graduate the same year, but we were close. And so I have known her for a long time. I knew her when her son was diagnosed with type one. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things I said to her after she was elected was like, I know it doesn't end here. I know like now is when you need people supporting you even more. So let's talk about like what we can do. And so voice really like voice has house meetings and then voice tries to take action. So we do a lot of before elections, we'll do, um, we'll do accountability sessions where mm -hmm. we ask questions of candidates and, um, try to get their commitment to work with voice or just to find out where they're, where they stand on certain positions, um, we, we might lobby for like, so Kevin's law, which was the bill yeah. that, um, Senator Hicks passed last year Woo! and that the governor signed, yeah. um, which enables you to get emergency access to insulin. If for some reason your prescription runs out, um, and it's named for a young man that died, um, because he couldn't get, uh, his prescription renewed. And it wasn't, it wasn't insulin. It was, it was not related to diabetes. Was it? It was. Oh, it was. Okay. Yeah. Pardon me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was insulin. Um, he was diagnosed when he was a little bit older. Um, but he, his, his family has been so great. And Clayton McCook, who yeah. works a lot with, uh, type one international. Yeah. Um, but he also, he, he shows up a lot too. His daughter has type one. Um, he and I, met with Senator Hicks and we kind of talked about this and 
you know, and it happened. And now, and now we have, you know, we made the calls. We asked people to make the calls. And again, sometimes it's so hard to know what to say. Sometimes you have to write it down to show up to an office and to like be met by a legislative aide who's just kind of looking at you like they're the gatekeeper because they are, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, so you do to a certain extent have to know kind of what you're talking about, but you can also, you show up and people realize, my grandma used to say persistence is, is the most important thing. And I think like, again, type one, type ones know that. Um, well, and I have to say, because the caucus that was um, this month, last week, and I'm sorry that you were unable to attend. I mean, you were busy with nursing finals. I was and- literally at a clinical rotation in the hospital, so I wasn't able to come. That's right. Well, one of the, the real themes there was um, all the things that we've moved forward with and, and want to do for 2020. I asked specifically for bullet point layman's terms because if we're given a script, and I do believe some people need a script, and no worries. If that makes you happy, that's what you need. But for me, I want talking points so that I can turn that into my own voice, mm-hmm. share my story. And I think that for me, that'll resonate a lot further. And and that's where I want people to find their voice. I think that's that's really important is to know what the story that you want to tell is and know kind of why that matters. What talking about. Exactly. Period. Because it may be something that we don't agree mm-hmm. with. And I think I think one of the things that helped me kind of figure out how to move from a script to bullet points. Because if you've ever been asked to make a call to a legislator, someone has sent you a script at some point. And you, and you're, do you want to send, do you just want to sign the petition or do you want to put your, you want to do some free, free writing in the text box or you're just going (laughs) to leave, you know, the three paragraphs of really thick text that you don't really read or understand there because you know, it's important, but you don't know how to explain why it's important to you. Or maybe you don't have the time. And I think, one thing, I don't, I'm not trying to get political, but I am political. I think we all are. I think yeah. if you've got type one, um, your life, fighting. yeah, your life is political. Um, you knock doors, you phone bank and you yeah. learn how to, you learn how to move off of a script or you learn how to talk about like why something matters to you or why it's important to you. Right. I don't care who you're doing it for. I mean, as long as it's a good thing, I'm yeah. not going to, yeah. I'm not going to come in here and, and like tell you what to believe. <laughs> but I think if you're looking for actionable ways about how to move away from, you know, kind of being afraid or not being yeah. unsure or not knowing how to do it, you just have to practice. And you yeah. practice by doing exactly what you just said, which is, you know, spending a little, you do, it's time. It, it is time. It's time. And not everyone has it. And I a hundred percent get that and know that, but I think it's important enough to make time for sometimes. I get tickled, well, in a good way, you know, the past year and a half, two years, my friends that have known me a really long time and know that what I'm doing will send me like a Facebook message or, hey, Amber, do you know somebody died because they were rationing their insulin? Are you doing anything about this? I'm like, I'm doing everything I can. Or did you hear about this kid who was unable to play softball because our coach refused to coach somebody with diabetes? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is why I'm doing this. But yeah. it's nice because I feel like mm-hmm. what we're doing and talking about these things, the, the average person who does not have diabetes or has it in their family, they can help be an advocate for us. Mm-hmm. So it's about education. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been lucky in the people that I've met and the friends that I have with diabetes and without who, who have been my biggest cheerleaders. And right. I think, you know, 
especially your friends that don't have diabetes, the more open you become or that you are about what your life is like, and this goes back to, you know, the community that you have as well, the more that they understand why, what, what you're working on, why fighting for better care and better access to care and better quality of care is so important because they see how it affects you and they know you. And I think that's not, you can't really put a, a value on that. And above and beyond that, just with, I mean, like when it comes to education in that capacity is I went to lunch recently with a dear friend who used to be my board president mm -hmm. and we're going to be working on a couple of projects together, which I'm excited to announce. But he was like, Amber, I feel ignorant. Tell me what life is like with diabetes. And we're sitting at this kick-ass restaurant in Oklahoma City, go to ramen and it's like one big ball of carbs. Mm -hmm. And the chair that I was Such sitting, good noodles. oh gosh, it's so good. I get the vegan, the mm -hmm. usai, mm -hmm. I mean, extra mushrooms. I, that's a serious plug. I wish mm -hmm. they'd pay me for that. <laughs> if they just would give me free food, I would probably weigh 400 pounds, but moving on. Um, but I was trying to explain to him. He was like, okay, so he was like, I'm doing low carb for the month of December. And I was like, what does that mean? So we're kind of laughing about that. And then I go into the fact that I'm like, so I look at this bowl, I'm looking at my Dexcom. Here's my number. I know that my blood sugar is this, so I've got to give, I'm going to guess how much I'm going to eat. Then I think factor in the tofu and I'm like going through all these things in my head. I'm saying this out loud to him. Mm -hmm. And I look over and his like his chin drops and I was like, and I can't even shoot up at the table because I have nowhere to prop up an arm mm -hmm. because they have weird chairs. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm going to risk it. Sorry, endocrinologist. And I'm just going to eat what I think I'm, what I'm going to eat. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to go to the restroom and I'm going to shoot up. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's so funny that you said that because I've started counting my carbs out loud, like when I'm with people by yeah. myself, because it is, again, it's just one of those things that we're so used to doing that we honestly don't really think anything of it. But when you're with people that don't, they're like, what are you doing? Or like, I'm just Why are you started, taking two minutes before yeah. you... So I just like, I kind of start, I'm like, oh, I'm going to have this, uh, this salad. It has some, I put some, you know... Quinoa's in this or cottage black beans. cheese next to it. Like, I don't, you know, you have to kind of, you, you kind of troubleshoot it and they're, they just don't think, they don't have to think about it. I once heard someone say that every person that they know with type one has an eating disorder because of the relationship that we have to have with food. And I don't know if I agree with that, but I... It made me think in a way that I haven't really thought before because I think about food in a, in a really weird way because I just have to, I have to think about not really just, does it taste good? Do I want it? Uh, is it going to make me gassy? You know, oh, yeah. is it going to give me bad breath? But I have to think about like, okay, well, how's my body going to break down this type of carbohydrate? What or, am I doing after this? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and so, how is it going to affect me then? So it's, we think about food in a way that normies don't have to. Um, I've only realized that in the past couple of years. And I said to my mom, we were, every time we get together, she wants to take me to lunch, which I will gladly accept a free meal. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. Right. Um, but it's, she always leaves it up to me, which is why well, I really appreciate, but I'm like, I kind of stick to the same places. And she was like, well, what about this? And what about this? And I love trying new things, but I'm like, mom, I know if we go to this place and mm -hmm. I ordered the same thing, I have a grasp, I have an, an understanding of what's, what it's mm -hmm. going to do to me. That's yeah. peace of mind because I don't have to think about it. Right. Well, I have a friend who uh, I think he rode for Team Type 1 for a while. But mm -hmm. just like hearing him talk about what his caloric intake and where things needed to be on the glycemic index. And, you know, it is it is bananas when you think about then like what am I going to do after this? It's not just you're right what you're eating. It's four hours down yeah. the road. 
And right. if you're doing a presentation or right. going for a jog. Right. Yeah, there is definitely no turning this off. And as I've said many times, I was like, this is something that um, is a full-time job, no sick days. Yeah. I mean, and this is the thing. is Control freak. Yeah, control freak, but also... Every once in a while, you just eat a piece of candy because, like, you know, that's for me for French fries. Every once in a while, I'll be like, I want that. I'm gonna eat French fries today. Yeah, I uh, there's a David Sedaris story called The Rooster where he's talking about his brother, and you just you just have to say F it and eat a piece of candy. Like, that is (laughs) that is that is not a Monica line, that's a David Sedaris line, and it's great and it's true. It is true. So, yeah, so we um. Went on a little bit of a tear. I will tell you right now, I'm on shots. Okay. And I don't. Um, That's called multiple da- MDI. You're a uh-huh. multiple daily injection. MDI, kind of MDI. I'm no longer. I'm not on a CGM anymore. I'm back on the old. Why? Because I could not afford. I got my my CGM. I was on a Dexcom CGM, and my. The way that my deductible was set up, I was able to like afford to buy the CGM and kind of get those first few uh, sensors. Yeah. But then when I needed a refill, it was four hundred dollars, yeah. and I couldn't afford it. And yep. so I switched over to the freestyle, and I had such a reaction to the freestyle um, adhesive. Okay. That. A physician kind of freaked out and put me on steroids and antibiotics. Which is the worst thing ever for a person with type 1 diabetes. Right. And so I haven't, I just haven't, I haven't gone to pick up another prescription. I, I would like to return to my CGM days, um, but that'll honestly be when nursing school is over. How long is that? I graduate in May. If, if I didn't fail my finals that I, I feel took very today confident <laughs> you rocked it and I want to say too because we're real life diabetes so we're enjoying I'm enjoying a glass of Boda Box red wine over ice which is so white trash and you're drinking a local craft beer from a yeah. brewery you work at I am drinking a Havana Affair which is a, <laughs> a German pilsner from Stone Cloud Brewing Company which is I do I work there in the tap room part-time and I, okay, we have met before because it made me think. Did you work at Oak and Ore? I did work and we at Oak and Ore. Oh my gosh! Happy hour. Okay, that is that was where one of our biggest turnouts. Yeah, that's where we met was at Oak and Ore. Yeah, one. Well, so one of the chefs at the time also had type one. Oh, um, I didn't know that. So that was, uh, I think, the owner of Oak and Ore had done kind of a like a fundraiser for someone before, mm-hmm. and the kitchen. His name was Joe. We were like, why don't we do? We have two people with type one. They're only like eight people that work here. <laughs> and so when you, I think you reached out about setting yeah. that up and, and so we, we and somebody down the diabetes pipeline had been like, Hey, you know, that so-and-so works here. And cause I was always looking for places and it was, I was happy that that was a kid friendly place mm-hmm. so that we could bring in all the little ones. Yeah, no, I, that is right. So that we met there before we re-met at the caucus, <laughs> but that was so many, that was years ago. That was years ago. It was probably three years ago. Yeah. Which is so crazy. And I will say that as I'm taking the show on the road, I will be hosting a happy hour in every city that I do a speaking engagement and a challenge that I will be announcing in early January 2020 with local restaurants. Okay. So it's going to be a win-win for the booze crowd and the type one, I want to eat good food crowd. Yeah. Check, check, check. (laughs) All the things. 
So I want to go back to one thing because I don't feel like I, we actually went down this. So one of the, I <clears throat> even, um, I think I was tweeting about it, watching my blood sugar rise as you were doing your presentation essentially for the caucus. We talk a little bit about the interim study so that the average person can, or me, could better understand what we were doing. Yes. So the interim study was on the cost of prescription drugs uh, in Oklahoma. And so the organization that I was involved in that I talked to you about, that I am involved in, Voice. called Voice, yeah. um, had been holding house meetings, which are small uh, small meetings, really open to anyone who wants to come, where you just talk about your experience. Um, with it doesn't have to be about diabetes, right? It can be about no. any prescription medication. So it's about any prescription medication. Um, I should say this voice is generally, it's made up of like schools, churches, um, I don't know, those kinds of things. So right. that's, that's kind of how we like spread, like we're having this kind of meeting. Um, if you want to come, come grassroots advocacy. Yeah, exactly. But so it's about any, any kind of experience that you had. And we had quite a few and just the things it's, it's enraging and also motivating at the same time to hear people talk about how hard it is for them to access the medications that they need, right. but also be so grateful that they have insurance. Um, because, you know, you hear, you hear someone talk about like they're the drugs that they need for mental health or right. like the Alzheimer's drugs that their husband needed before he died or MS medication. And couldn't get them. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, um, I, uh, Senator Hicks knew that I was going to those meetings and she was the one who kind of, uh, requested the, the interim study. So the point of the study really was to find out ways Oklahoma has not expanded um, the, Medicare, Medicaid. Yes. So that is uh, the, the kind of the point was like, what are Oklahomans struggling with? What are ways that we can improve this that are not expanding Medicare, Medicaid, because we haven't done that yet. Right. Um, it's a ballot question um, that we'll see this next year, but what are some other ways that we could impact the cost of prescription drugs? Um, and so she had a representative from the AARP mm -hmm. talk about trends that they're seeing mm -hmm. because we know that our elderly population um, are dealing or having massive predominantly type two, right? But they're also having you know massive issues with yes. other medications. They're polypharmacy; they take a lot of drugs. Yeah. Um, and so, kind of like the issues that they're facing, she invited uh, someone from a so the social services office in Tulsa. Mm -hmm. Her name was Linda Johnston, and she talked about a drug recycling program that they started. Uh, that has First saved, of its kind. That, yeah, that is now being replicated in states across the country. Um, Can I throw something out really quick? Yes. Because I want to just throw this in mm -hmm. because I have been, of course, I have a phone conversation with her this week. Okay. And it is, well, I'm going to pitch, uh -huh. and I'm hoping that it will be well-received, if legal, is that when we look at the insulin for all, and people giving away insulin, which is unfortunately a felony and something totally ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And I hope to see and to be a part of that change because we're all keeping an eye on each other. But if right. I knew that in every state, and I hate to say that because I know that people can't always travel, but there's a pharmacy like that mm -hmm. that I could donate all of the insulin that I can no longer use mm -hmm. or when somebody does pass away mm -hmm. or moves or, you know, whatever it is, could be donated there. And that is your one-stop shop for the people who cannot mm -hmm. afford that hundred dollar bottle of insulin. Right. I, that's, you know, 
It's so funny that you brought that up because when Kevin's law passed, I actually was, I had to reorder insulin. I was on my last vial. I try to reorder when I'm down to two, but like I'm in nursing school and I work, it's it's just, it's life. It happens. You think you have more than you don't. Yeah. Um, and so I called the pharmacy and they're like, well, we, your farm, your, uh, insurance provider prefers, uh, I was on Humalog and they're like, we want you to use Novolog now. So I had to call my doctor and I ran out of insulin because it was yeah. a weekend and it was a holiday. It was literally a perfect storm and it could not there. better. It could not be a better example for why Kevin's law was important and why it needed to pass. And I thought it was so ironic and it was just absurd kind of how perfect it was. But I, I got insulin from a girl that I used to work at the YMCA with. Um, and it's just like, that's, I'm literally resulting, like resorting to getting kind of my like medicine from people like that I trust. And I know rather than going through the, the like regular system, 42 but, documents you have to go through because it's such a trial. So yeah. So a hundred percent think that that is a great idea. And again, you know, I just want to create some yeah. type of that recycling that program. That, yeah. There are, there are medications that cannot be, and I think this is the issue that you're kind of, you're getting to is there are medications that they don't include, um, in that recycling program. So opioids, yeah. um, drugs that can be like dependent or that are like schedule, like on a, any kind of schedule, but like, you know, you're, and I don't know where insulin falls on that. In yeah. That. I just know that we, I mean, because it can, Right. It would be interesting to hear kind of if there are um, like type two, like ins- like those like metformin, if metformin is like something and that's in their formulary that they're able to. I will find out. To do. I will definitely report back on this. Yeah. And if it is, if insulin is not a part of what with it can be recycled, that is going to be my number one focus. Yeah. No, because it's, it's an outstanding program. Um, and it sounds like it's, it started in Tulsa County. It's definitely an, like it seems like it's more in those northern eastern counties of the yeah. state that they're that they're operating. Um, but that was that was really great. That was a great example of of things that are happening. Um, and then she had someone kind of call in also from mm-hmm. uh, at, during the interim study about other like state level actions that are happening about uh, cost of prescription drugs. Right. Um, again, like the point of and then I I told the stories. I told my story. Yeah. Um, I told the stories that I heard in these house meetings because I think the important thing that gets lost sometimes in these discussions, these high level discussions about policy and cost is like, it's the, it's the real life. It's the day-to-day impact that it has on the people that like, we're the point, aren't we? Like we're the point of governance. So if you, if you don't know like how this is affecting your constituents, right. you're not really doing your job. And it's so easy for us to say that politicians are out of touch, but we just spent probably 20 minutes talking about how we're intimidated to go and talk to them, you know? So I think it's not, it's not all a one-sided thing, but I, I really, it was very important to me to, to share not just my story, but the stories of other people and how, how illness chronic, um, or not is more than just, a price tag or a statistic, right? It's mental. It is time. It's money. Um, and it's, it's exhausting. Um, and I, and I really, it was interesting to then be followed up by, um, a a trade representative who 
I think really meant well. I think understands. <laughs> I wish everybody could, and maybe uh, they didn't do videotape this. Did I they? think it was recorded. If I we think can get that it's all available. I think that it is online. And I think Carrie, uh, Senator Hicks sent me that information and I'll share it with you. Please do. And so go into what she had to say. And the, was it a state, state Senator? Who was it? Is her? Yeah. So it is a, a state, good question. A state Senator who is also a pharmacist who honestly, I, I really, I was glad he wasn't on the panel, but he came in to hear the testimony. And I, I shook was, his hand and thanked him. Yeah. I, he, I, and I wish that I wasn't blanking on his name. Um, but he, I will add it in the show notes. He, he definitely, he said pharmacists feel like they're murdering people because yeah. they have to turn them away. And I thought, you know, I don't really ever think of, again, it's going back to that customer service thing and right. thinking about, you know, they're, they're just doing their quote unquote, their jobs. And so I think it's easy to try to find a villain, but I think, I don't know. It's don't, definitely not in my mind. I've never thought as the pharmacist is the villain. No. Right. And, it's, and and I get I get upset, and I remember because there was a time whenever um, I got a call from the pharmacy when I was refilling. At that time, I was using Lantus, and they called and said, "I just want you to know and be prepared. Your prescription is going to be like eight hundred and something dollars." And I was like, "Well, I have a discount card. Did you run that?" And so, long story short, that pharmacist it was Walmart mm-hmm. in the specific place that I was um, getting my prescriptions from. Took. 12 to 14 hours and ran every discount he could. And when he called to say, I've done everything I can. You're, I'm happy to give you your Atlantis at no cost. And everyone, when I say that story, is like, oh my gosh, was it a local pharmacy? No, it was somebody who actually cared. Mm-hmm. And if every pharmacist right. had that level of compassion mm-hmm. when it came to an $800 medication I can't live without. Right. What, what, what ripple effect there? Yeah, I mean, and it's also, but it's the same. It's do they have the time? Like maybe they no. care, but like think about how long it probably took him or her. And to, that's why I wrote a thank you card to run that, hugged this person, yeah, and cried through it. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think like that's the thing is, I don't. I think it's a lack of understanding of what the reality actually is, right? Because we all know medical professionals that don't that don't really know, you know. They don't know what's up or down with type one. And so that they might, they maybe know it's serious and they know it's important, but they don't necessarily know what the, like how horrifyingly close you can get to death, to death because you can't access this medication. And it's not as easy as just like going to the emergency room um, because that's also a bill that you can't afford to pay. Um, well, and let's be honest, they don't send you home with a bottle of insulin. Right, exactly. Yeah. So you get treated and then sent back into the wild. So Which I hope to change that too, because I yeah. think it's absolutely ridiculous yeah. and they're not even letting you, they're not even giving you the insulin that you would normally take. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think what I've seen, what I've seen in the hospital and to, they can't even keep yeah. those drugs on the emergency room floor. Right. Aren't they at a second? I've not, level? I haven't been into an ER, so I'm not sure. I know like in the room in the floors in the rooms that I've seen, I've seen a lot of Novolog. Um, well, and, that's good. And Lantis. Um, and then IV, you're seeing like regular insulin still. So I don't know. I don't, the answer to that emergency room question is I just don't know because I haven't been exposed to it. But, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, there's a, someone from the parent group after the caucus meeting came and talked to me and, and kind of asked, you know, like, how do you, how do you get politicians to listen to you? 
And, and I said, you just, you show up to stuff. And Linda was there, uh, Mm -hmm. from the health department in Tulsa. And she said, yeah, like you show up and you let them know that you're not going anywhere. And I think there's a difference between being a constant and being a pest. Like you don't want to, you know, but like being respectful, but also being like, we're not going to stand for this. Um, and we want to see everybody succeed. Yeah. I mean, let's not kill right. ourselves. That politician wants to be popular. Right. And so if they can do something mm-hmm. that changes our tune, right. that's only going to help them. Right. I would like to think. Yeah. I mean, I think better access to health care um, is, a, it's, again, it's check, 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 check all the boxes. It's a win for everyone. Um, and I think one of the things that we touched on earlier, and I don't know that it was in this conversation or the one we had prior to this. Mm-hmm. And I want to say that we only had a prior conversation because my blood sugar was low and <laughs> hers was high. So we were trying to like leaving the numbers out so we would sound like ourselves. Yeah, so we would sound like regular, quote unquote, regular people. <laughs> but I think one of the things that we both have chimed in uh, on or, or talked about is, you know, 37, almost 37 years in and you're 20-ish years in. Mm-hmm. Always 21, pr- yeah. Promising a cure. Yeah. Five years down the road. Five yeah. years. Right. If I had 10 bottles of insulin for every time that was said, I would <laughs> yeah. be, have my own pharmacy. Yeah. Um, and I think like, and I think, so I think that's exactly right. You know, at what point, I brought this up in a caucus meeting once. Well, the majority of people living with type one are adults. They're yeah. not, they're not kids. They're not teenagers. Of course, there are tons of those, but we're, we're alive and kicking into our, you know, thirties and forties and, and we we don't want to hear that same song anymore. So let's figure out a different message. Right. What are we going to do to make it different? And I think like, I think what, what you see in, in people paying attention again is more of a willingness to engage and say like, maybe, maybe I can do something. And I think like, that's what I've learned through this whole process this past year was I can't show up as much as I want to, but I can still, I can still make a phone call. Yeah. I can still tell three of my friends who aren't as plugged in as I am, but who know how important it is to me yeah. to make a phone call. Or to send a Facebook message to your mm-hmm. friends. I mean, it can yeah. be as simple, as simple as social media. Yeah. I, I definitely use social media um, during... And you, yeah, you've done a fabulous job and I, I see your stuff often. And the fact that you contributed to the Diabetes Daily Grain blog early on, shared your story, I think that was very inspirational to a lot of people. And like I said, I was so excited to read that you, you did, you broke that glass ceiling. I, I loved every minute of it. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was weird, but it was fun. And in a future podcast, I, I do want to talk more about your time. Cause I love traveling internet. Mm-hmm. I love traveling period. Right. Internationally. And somebody asked me in one of the podcasts, it was like, so you've gone to X, Y, and Z by yourself. And I'm like, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never feared Running out of medication. I couldn't mm-hmm. even tell you what I packed when it yeah. came to that. Now that I'm older and I've ran out of insulin twice in the past year <laughs> because of pin malfunctions, right. now I have a better grasp of that and I am better prepared. But right. I want to encourage people to yeah. never think twice about it. And I think, again, like some of that just comes with like knowing, like trusting the personality that you've developed as someone with type 1 to just be able to figure it out. I think – my biggest and craziest Peace Corps story um, is I, I got so mad because they made me bring a second insulin pump. They're like, well, you can come, but you have to have a second one in case the first one breaks because we won't replace it for you. Did you have to pay for that out of pocket? I 
had a friend loan me an old seven. This was before like the 802s or whatever were gold. Um, this was, you know, this was when they were just like junky clunkers. And they said, you can use this while you're there. I don't, I don't need it. It's just like, it was like a, again, it was a, a diabetes professional that was doing me a solid. Right. Um, there's like, just bring it back whenever you're done. And I said, I, I can do that. Uh, but I was, you know, bopping around with my pump on vacation in Turkey. I was in, I was on a little, like a summer break with another volunteer in Turkey and my pump broke. I got that error, you know, that horrible, I have no idea. that horrible button error, you know? And I was just like, well, F because I only have, I have a ton of short acting insulin, but I don't have any syringes because I'm just living you're Wild in the peace free. corps. Yeah, like, You're I, like, hey. I don't care about anything. <laughs> and so, you know, I use Skype on my phone to call uh, the pump company, and they're like, "There's really nothing that we can do right now." And my insulin pump is in Ukraine, <laughs> so I ask the like the desk guy at the hostel that my friend and I are staying at how to say sur- syringe in Turkish. And my friend and I proceeded to wander the streets. Oh, Lord. Of Antalya asking, asking pharmacists for syringes, like saying, like, I have diabetes, <clears throat> I need syringes. And I have never, that was the only time I've ever hugged a pharmacist was oh. when this pharmacist gave, he was like, he like, I sold me syringes. And I literally woke up every two hours the rest of that trip to give myself insulin. I still had a great trip, but it was it was bananas. It was stress. And it was yeah. stress. I mean, it was stressful, but I still, I still, again... In my mind, like, what are my other options? Like, what else What else can I do? I'm in another country. The kindness of strangers, I mean, I think pe- it's – I i don't think I'm a very threatening-looking person. I, like <laughs> – I am, like, a nice white lady. Um, so it's not hard for people to be nice to me. Right. Um, but the – the luck that I've had interacting with strangers in, in for it's, it's made me really believe in humanity. And so that is just like a prime example of, well, what are my other options? I can, I, who's, I can call Tarek, who is the pharmacist in Ukraine and be like, Hey, do you know how to get me a prescription for long acting insulin in Turkey? He's probably going to say no. Um, I could have gone to a hospital, I don't know where one was or what that language issue would look like, you know? So I just, I think it, this goes, that actually goes back to, I think the common theme here is mm-hmm. find your, your community Yeah. because in both, and granted I was in the United States, so mm-hmm. it's totally different. But when my malfunctions went down and I was, Novo was doing what they could and right. it, I knew it was going to be a timely process. People came out of the woodwork. Yeah. And I think that's it. It's like we have such a, a control thing that it's hard for us to ask for help sometimes. And so being willing to not only, you know, have that community that you can rely on, but also to ask for help of sometimes strangers. Like sometimes you just have to you have to be vulnerable and trust people. And that's really hard um, when you don't necessarily know how it's going to pan out. But I have to tell you one quick funny story. And we'll have to end it with this because I probably need to wrap this up. Oh no, I'm but so sorry. This was the last. This was the last like insulin crisis that I was in. Which I was in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. It was I think it's December or January of last year. And my friends are awesome. We always go to a concert. We have great great tickets to the Elton John concert. It was mm-hmm. kicking off the you know his last hoorah farewell. His farewell. And I didn't tell my friends that my CGM was about to kick the bucket. I was struggling with my sensor and that I had realized that afternoon after a bike ride, when I went to give a shot that my insulin pin had malfunctioned. And so I'm thinking, okay, I've just got to find syringes. 
So I go back to, they own a and b and I was in my room making all the calls, putting out everything I could on social media. And I was like, okay, well, we're going to be in a major stadium. I can probably find the, oh, the ER, not, what are they called? Um, the first aid people. Right. And maybe they'll have a syringe on them. Right. I can explain the situation. So I just told my friends, hey, I'm having a little bit of an insulin problem. I'm just going to go. I'm going to find somebody, blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, all right. Well, you know where our seats are. I go, tap into this group. And this is like hardcore EMT people. And mm-hmm. I'm like, they were so kind. And I said, all that I need is a syringe to be able to withdraw this insulin from what's left of this pin. I'm watching my blood sugar now climb up to 370. Right. And, and uh, all you but, really want to do is watch Elton. You know? <laughs> right. I just want to have a good time. I want to drink a vodka soda. I want right. to be with my friends and eat right. a veggie burger. Right. Right. And I, I was, they were then getting stressed out and they were like, okay, well, the only thing that we have are these needles and they are like two inches long. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I mean, granted, I probably could have made that work, mm-hmm. but I was like, you know what? I'm going to be okay. I'm going to figure out how to hook up with CVS after the fact or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I did. And, but it was, it was just one of those things that, um, it was like, I had to get scrappy. Mm-hmm. Everyone was willing to help. Right. And whatever pharmacy it was, Walgreens or CVS, the next day, like, worked with me. But it was the highest my blood sugar had been in probably 10 years. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the scary thing is, you know, there's not a set number that equals danger. And that's a hard thing to explain to people, too. And so you're then, again, it's like this weird, that's why I think the control, like, tendency is so strong. But also, you know... Because it's dangerous, but you have to ask for help. And my friend said, why didn't you ask for help earlier? And I was like, what could you have done? Right. Yeah. And I don't want to burden you. Right. Exactly. Sometimes it's okay. Like you you got, somebody's got to be a burden to them. It may, it may as well be you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they know that with me staying with them, I'm a burden in so many other ways. And so I wanted to start ending each podcast with a really random question. Okay. And the question was going to be, and I already know the answer to this. Or maybe maybe you'll shock me with this. Camping versus glamping. Okay. Which one would you prefer? I like camping. I knew that was going to be the answer. <laughs> so I feel like, okay, let me think of something else. Can I just say, I just went on a really outstanding trip to national parks in Utah. Yes, you can. And I camped like a boss. Um, but Carry as- everything with you. Yeah. But as like a 33 year old, I will say I got like a phone, not a foam pad. It's like an air pad that I lay under my sleeping bag because, you know, you need a little cushion. Yes. Um, but I, I like a camping situation. I like a fire. I like cooking baked potatoes in the fire. I just, I like the old school kind of situation. All right. Well, is there any random fact that you want to throw out since I knew you were going to choose camping? Um, I would totally be a glamper. You could pay me to camp, but, but. You know, I different strokes for different folks. Um, I, I, I I like that you like craft beer. Yeah, no, that's hard for a lot of people with diabetes. It is, and I think again for that, it's just like you just. I give myself a little grace. I think because I've been, I, I worked at a craft beer bar for two years. I work, I've worked at this brewery for almost like going on two. Um, I know what different styles are going to do to me. Yeah. And sometimes, and you know, it's a lot of, a lot of life with type one is trial and error. So I've kind of figured out kind of the method to the madness and, and I like it. I, I'm really bad at making choices after living in Ukraine. So I don't like if, 
if because I I didn't have a grocery store, I literally went into a shop and said, "I need bread, I need butter," and right. like they would give it to me. Um, so when I'm asked to kind of, I'm not good at coming up with an like I'll tell you a story, but I don't have I'm not I don't I'm not a surprising person. I've actually recently been told by a friend that I'm very predictable. Um, you know, I think that counts with the territory. Yeah. It's hard for us to be spontaneous because yeah. we don't know how it's going to affect us, whether that's jumping off a cliff right. with whatever year. Right. Or, I don't, yeah, I mean. So, so yeah, I, 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 I like to camp. I play, I play an instrument that I taught myself to play badly, is? but with enthusiasm, a mandolin. Oh, yeah, that's a Because it one. can be happy and sad. <laughs> In a really nice way. I don't, I don't know. That's, I like that. I think that's good. Maybe I need to start asking people a random fact about themselves that is not diabetes related. Yeah, I don't. In addition to my throw yourself, throw you off of the diabetes game random question. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm going to work on this. This is the first one. I feel good about it. I, I think, you know, first pancake, it probably wasn't that bad. <laughs> Well, Monica, thank you so much for taking time. And I promise to the listeners that we will have follow-up episodes because you have a lot going on and we'll be sure to include in the show notes, um, every, you know, little, little tips and tricks and all the other things that we've discussed today and ways that you can get involved without being a squeaky wheel, but more of, what'd you say? A pest versus a, uh, I don't remember, but it was good. It was good. <laughs> and I will remember it and I'll add that in the show notes as well. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really did have a good time. So it's nice to sit across you know, face to face once again, yeah. and we'll have to do this more often. I, I hope so. All right. Have All a good right. night. Yeah. I'm glad you made it to the end and hopefully with no regrets. I mean, what better way to wrap up 2019 than with someone who reminds us we have to be our own advocate and we are allowed to take up space. For many of us, that sounds so simple, but can be intimidating. So Monica's words of encouragement have hopefully inspired you to get involved in whatever capacity. Please remember to check out the show notes for links to organizations and advocacy platforms mentioned in this episode. Before I wrap up, I just have a quick few last minute things. And I, I always say you want to listen to the end because I always announce something new. Don't forget to check out NPIN from Companion Medical. You can learn more about NPIN at companionmedical.com or in the show notes. Big news, Diapeeps. 2020 will kick off with a bang. I'm introducing two new projects. The Real Life Diabetes mini podcast series. You want to know more, I promise, because it is incredibly educational and entertaining. And a killer cooking challenge with details for that one coming soon. Just need to wrap up a couple things. I promise you want to be a part of this, so shoot us an email to learn more. As I mentioned in the intro, we are looking for solid partnerships. We love getting creative. And as I always say, the sky is the limit, and I mean that. I don't want to jump out of a plane or anything like that, but I really do feel like we can work together to help more people living with diabetes. For more information, please contact the marketing team at Penelope at DiabetesDailyGrind.com. Please continue to love, like, and share all things social media. You can also leave an iTunes review or shoot me an email with comments, thoughts, or ideas. 
I can be reached anytime at amber at diabetesdailygrind.com. And I really love hearing from you. Tears me up every time. Be kind, though. I will say that. (laughs) I wish everyone a happy new year with steady blood sugars and minimal alarms beeping. I hope you look forward to 2020 and what lies ahead for the Diabetes Daily Grind as much as I do. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone.